uh, Adam. We've gone through generation to generation. We've gone through Adam to his son Isaac, and then to Isaac's son Jacob, and then last week we did Jacob's son Joseph, famous, of course, for his uh, beautiful coat. Uh, in the orchestra that I play in, we are doing music from Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, although somebody accidentally announced it as his amazing Technicolor Raincoat. <laughs> I don't think he had much rain. I don't think he needed to worry about that. But today we are going to jump uh, from the end of the book of Genesis. We finished in Genesis, and now we're going to book, uh, jump into the book of Exodus. Uh, a jump of, well, it's debatable how long that uh, jump is. Some say a matter of maybe 100 years, others 300. I've seen one estimate that is even up to 500. Uh, so a long time. We'll just take it as a long time. But during that time period, some significant changes have occurred. There is a new Egyptian king, a new pharaoh, and we are told that Joseph the one who had saved the Egyptians from famine, meant nothing to him. The Israelite people have grown in number, and they are now so numerous that this pharaoh fears their power. So the Israelites are enslaved and oppressed. The pharaoh is so fearful of their power that he orders all the Israelite baby boys to be killed remind you of somebody else we think about at Christmas. And out of that oppression and that horrific situation, God hears the cries of his people. And the Bible says he remembers his covenant. He, he honours his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he sets about the task of liberation. And that is where Moses comes in. So over the next three weeks, we will look at Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now, previously, we went generation to generation, but those three are all from the same generation. They are two brothers and a sister. Moses is, of course, famous for the one who, who went to Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh had to experience all those plagues that finally persuaded, or should I say forced, Pharaoh to allow Moses to lead the people into the wilderness away from Egypt. Moses is the mediator between God and the people. And then we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. 
Now, if you read the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, you can read where Joseph gives these instructions about his bones. Joseph was confident about God's deliverance for the people that he gave instructions about where his bones should be taken. So through all that period of oppression and enslavement and the horror of baby boys being killed, <coughs> Moses and the Israelites remember Joseph's instructions and they want to honour his wishes. This draws that story of Genesis to a close and is the link into Exodus. It's not really surprising that they want to honour Joseph. He was a great leader and it is part of, uh, a part of respect for the person who has died to honour their wishes. And God had left them there remembering this for such a long time. So if we learn nothing about these stories, if we learn that God, although he remembered his covenant, for some reason took a long time. His timetable is perfect, but it's not necessarily quick. Verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, as many of you know, I am at college in Oxford once a week. And when I walk from college back to the park and ride on a Tuesday evening, uh, there are a few markers along the way that I sort of mentally tick off to let me know that I am actually making progress. Somehow, walking back from college to the car feels a little bit further than walking from the car to college in the morning, especially if I've been to the library and taken some books out. So I have this mental checklist, Osney Bridge, yep, reach that tick. Past the community centre, tick. Past Waitrose, tick. And now I know I'm really making progress. In the distance, I can see the Mazda garage. <laughs> and I know I'm nearly there. But a few weeks ago, marking off these personal little milestones became even more important than normal. 
It was dark, nothing unusual. It's dark everywhere at seven o'clock in the evening. But that night, in the headlights of the car, of the cars, I could see the torrential rain whipping across the road. You know what I mean? You, know, you can see it, can't you, in sort of waves. And it's bouncing up off the road. But that night, I did not have an umbrella. <laughs> By the time I got to the car, my jeans were soaked through, my coat was soaked through, my jumper was soaked through, and my top was soaked through. When I got to the car, I put my wet coat on the passenger seat of the car, and 24 hours later, that seat was still wet. But despite how important it was for me, walking home that evening to mark the progress that I was making, what I did not do in the wind and the rain was look up. Because looking up, how we hold ourselves, our posture, so often reflects not just the weather, but our circumstances, how we are feeling mentally or physically. Our bodies are not divorced from our minds. Our praise and worship is an embodied act. We raise our hands in praise. We bow in adoration. We bow before the king. We stand in honour. And when God, through Moses, led the Israelites into the wilderness, he, them, he promises to guide them and provides markers by day and by night that cause them to look up. He doesn't give them a strip light on an, like on an aeroplane. He says, look up. By day you will see a pillar of cloud, and by night a pillar of fire. And throughout the Bible, and even in today, our normal day-to-day -day language, looking up, often symbolizes looking for or to God. Now, we know he is not literally in the sky, but we think of God in the highest heavens. But when life is tough and we are in the storms, in the wind and the rain and in the wilderness, we do not find it easy to look up. At the beginning of this passage, we know that Moses has been the Israelites' appointed leader. He is serving as their mediator between the God and the people. And it's very clearly stated that it is God who leads the Israelites into the wilderness. Moses is not following his own initiative. We know that they were not in the wilderness by accident. And God did not lead them straight to the promised land. After decades and possibly centuries under an increasingly violent and oppressive regime, Moses might have thought that God would take them the quickest route, the straightest route. But God understands their human nature, he understands our human nature better than we do ourselves and takes them a circuitous route, why do I lose, use what, long words, <laughs> to help them remove the temptation to return to Egypt. Despite its harsh regime, 
God knew that if they faced possible war, they might be tempted to go back to what was familiar, even if it was bad. And then in the early verses of chapter 14, the early days of their journey into the wilderness, we read that God tells them to turn back on themselves. Not only have they not gone straight there, they then turn back. Moses is told by God that he wants Pharaoh to think they are wandering aimlessly and that they are hemmed in, trapped by the wilderness. To outsiders, God wanted the Israelites to appear lost and hopeless. But to Moses and the Israelite people, all they needed to do was to look up. To look up and see the pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night, to know that it wasn't true, they weren't lost and hopeless. They were guided and in exactly the place that God wanted them to be. Now we talked and touched on a different types of wilderness earlier. We looked at snow places, places of cacti and deserts. And let's be honest, some of those wildernesses for literal geographical places are awe-inspiring. They are beautiful. But I wouldn't want to live there or be there for very long. They're also inhospitable and threatening. But we also use that word, don't we, to be in the wilderness, to symbolise feeling out in the cold. We talk about politicians being in a political wilderness. When we feel lost or aimless in life, we might feel that we are somewhere inhospitable and uncomfortable. The wilderness is not a nice place to be. And spiritually speaking, I think there are two types of wilderness. The first is one that we go into ourselves either deliberately because we have turned our back on God or in some way we are refusing to submit to his lordship over our life. Or we could wander into this wilderness less consciously. We gradually drift away from the path of God. Little by little, he becomes less important to us. We start to treat church as an optional extra just when we can fit it in, rather than making it a priority. Whether deliberately or not, this is the wilderness that we go into ourselves. It is the one where we are adrift from God. Relationship with him is or seems absent. The only solution is to look up and to look to God and ask him for the route, for his guidance that will bring us home spiritually. Look up. God promises in his word that if you seek him, he will be found. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
But uh, there is this other type of wilderness, the one that the Israelites found themselves in, the one that God leads us into. It is explicitly stated that God led them here and he led them on that roundabout route. John the Baptist was the one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. We are in Lent, that period in the church year which gives us time to prepare for Easter, but also reflects the time that Jesus was in the wilderness. And all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they tell us clearly that the Spirit led (coughs) Jesus there. Yes, there are wildernesses, that God leads us into. There are times, therefore, in the wilderness where God clearly has a purpose to fulfil, a purpose that is fulfilled by our obediently following him into the wilderness and keeping to the path that he dictates. But for the Israelites, we need to note that the wilderness was not a route away from something. It was a route to something. It was the route to the promised land and the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It was not just a route away from the oppressive captivity of the Egyptians. They may not have been aware, and Moses wasn't aware of the exact day-to-day plan of each day as it would unfold, but they had the promise of that final destination. Even if it was going to be a long route, a strange route, they knew where their final destination was. And in Christ, we have that same promise. And secondly, the passage gives us the purpose of their wilderness wandering. If we read those last two verses again, this is God speaking to Moses. God says, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. See, in that verse, it doesn't talk about the liberation of the Israelites. It it talks about the situation bringing glory to God. The purpose of their journey in the desert and the fact that it wasn't the quickest or more, more direct route was to bring glory to God. And I just love that last sentence. So the Israelites did this. Brilliant, isn't it? We're going, to, we're going to go this really weird route, but we'll do that because it brings glory to God. And sometimes in our lives, we need to just have that level of, if God wants me to do this, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Their posture was one that they were willing to look up to God's guidance and one of willingness to bring glory to him. For them not being in that wilderness would have been an act of disobedience. And if they ever doubted, they just needed to look up. And God's promise of his guidance never diminished. 
They had the pillar of fire by night and of cloud by day, also symbolic of God's glory. There are plenty of places in the Bible where God's glory is in the cloud. But this did not make the wilderness a comfortable place to be. If you read on in Exodus, you will see there were threats to their safety. They moaned about the lack of food and water. The wilderness was still a wilderness. God's purpose isn't about making our lives easy or comfortable. God's purpose in our lives is to bring glory to him. How we cope, how we seek his guidance in the wilderness is how we bring glory to him. If our life isn't comfortable, if we feel as though we're aimless, if we look as though everyone around us knows where they're going, just look up. Look to God. Being in the wilderness is not a sign that we have lost his blessing. And there is one more, one more little purpose that God states in their wilderness wandering. He states that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Even in the liberation of his own people, God was still concerned about revealing himself as Lord of all and revealing himself as Lord to all. This may sound even arrogant, but actually it's only giving God the recognition, the recognition that he deserves and is worthy of. He is the one true God, as the prophet Isaiah said. God was never not concerned about the whole humanity, and even when he was delivering the Israelites, his promised people, he was still concerned that the Egyptians would acknowledge, they will know that I am the Lord. So if you're feeling a little bit in the wilderness this morning, take time to stop and think. Is it a wilderness that you've gone into yourself? Look up and search for God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. But is it a wilderness that God has led you into? If so, be encouraged. If you are following where God leads in obedience, he will bring glory to himself, which in turn will show himself to be Lord to other people. I can't promise you anything so miraculous as a cloud by day or a fire by night to reassure you of God's path. I wish I could. It would be really handy sometimes, wouldn't it? But we have something the Israelites did not have. We have the Bible. We have the revelation of God in word. And uh, Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. But greater than the Bible, we have the revelation of God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus, we look at God. And in Hebrews 12, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Look to Jesus you will not so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you are in the wilderness, look up. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you that you are with us, that your promise is with us, that you will never leave us and that though life has struggles and challenges, though our path may not always be clear and understandable, Lord, we want to serve and follow you. Help us in the midst of struggles to look up, to look into the face of Jesus so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Help us to discern your voice, to discern where you are calling us and guiding us, And Lord, where we have wandered away from you, Lord, draw us back, we pray. Thank you that though we are sinners, though we have done things wrong, thank you that you welcome us, that you do promise that you will draw near if we draw near to you. Give us fresh strength, we pray, to draw near and draw deeper into our discipleship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.